Welcome to Search for Meaning. I'm Yoshi Zweibach. Thanks for joining me. Well, we just celebrated the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, and so it's time for me to share one of my sermons with you. This one is from September 26, 2022, the first day of the Jewish year, 5783. It's called Circles of Concern, and the question I try to answer is, how far should those circles extend? Of course, we have to take care of those closest to us, but what are our responsibilities going farther out to others? Stay tuned, and I hope be inspired. At the end of the movie Schindler's List, Yitzhak Stern, played by Ben Kingsley, presents Oscar Schindler with a ring. On it, he explains, are engraved words from the Talmud that say, whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Schindler, played by Liam Neeson, is clearly moved. As he reaches out to shake Stern's hand, he says, I could have got more out if I had just... No, 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 Stern says. There are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. There will be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough, Schindler says. You did so much, Stern tells him. The survivors whose lives Schindler saved really did give him a ring as a token of their appreciation. The gold was sourced from their fillings that they had voluntarily donated to the ringmaker. But the part about the inscription from the Talmud was the invention of the filmmakers. And if you know your Talmud, you might think that they got the quote wrong. The original text that teaches that whoever saves one life saves the world entire comes from the Tractate Sanhedrin. And the context is interesting and important. It's part of the instructions a judge gives to witnesses in a capital case, warning them to be extra careful with their testimony since a person's life is literally at stake. To prove its point, the Talmud quotes a verse from the Bible the one that describes the world's first murder, a fratricide, Cain killing his little brother Abel in jealousy and rage. In the story from the Torah, immediately after the murder, God says to Cain, what have you done? The blood of your brother cries to me from the ground. Now the rabbis notice by reading the text very carefully that the word blood in Hebrew is actually in the plural. Literally, the bloods of your brother cry to me from the ground, demei achicha. And then, of course, they ask the question, why is the text in the plural? Because, the rabbis reason, Cain didn't just kill Abel. He killed all of Abel's potential descendants, generations that might have come to be had Abel lived. And then the Talmud teaches, therefore the creation of all humanity began with just one individual soul, the first human, to teach you that whoever destroys one soul 
destroys an entire world. And whoever saves one soul saves an entire world. A person is an entire world because all humanity can potentially descend from that soul. But in most printed editions of the Talmud, the Hebrew text actually includes an extra word. And I'll read it in the Hebrew, and I'll emphasize that word. Shekol ha-me'abed nefesh achat mi Yisrael, ki ilu ibed olam maleh. V'chol ha-mekayem nefesh achat mi Yisrael, ki ilu kiyem olam maleh. Whoever destroys a life from Israel destroys an entire world. Whoever saves a life from Israel saves an entire world. Israel here means Jew. If you kill a Jew, you destroy the world. If you save a Jew, you save a world. This is more specific. It's more particular and, of course, less universal. It might be read as a text about the primacy of Jewish lives and perhaps, by extension, the relative unimportance of the lives of others. Now, for some of us, such a sentiment might make sense given our history of oppression at the hands of anti-Semites and those who were simply apathetic about our fate. If we don't take care of our own, well, then who will? But for others, such a reading is, well, it really smacks of Jewish superiority. It's one thing to cherish and love your own people, but it's quite another to imagine that their lives are inherently more valuable, more precious than the lives of others. There is, however, scholarly debate about this text, and there are actually many manuscripts of the Talmud that do not include that word, mi Yisrael. And those versions read just like the ring in Schindler's List, whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Most scholars and experts of the Talmud agree that the universal version is actually the original. Throughout the generations, sages, scholars, and ethicists have asked the question inspired by the tension between these two readings of the text. Should we concern ourselves with the well-being of others, or should we focus solely on our own families, our own community, our own people. Make no mistake, these variant readings have real-world consequences. Lives can be spared or not based on how we interpret and live this text. A few years ago, in partnership with Save the Syrian Children, a nonprofit created right here by two members of our own community, we sent shipping containers filled with toys and clothing and medical supplies to help children in Syria caught in the crossfire of a bloody civil war. Our community came together to pack the containers and include messages of solidarity and support, and those supplies saved lives. Had we said as a community, you know, some of the parents of those innocent children are actually our enemies. We don't need to go out of our way to help them. Some of those kids would have died. This past spring, 
As a community, we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to help more than 150 refugees from the war in Ukraine journey to Israel. And we also sent several planes full of medical and humanitarian supplies to Ukraine. Many of those we helped and even saved were not Jewish. Had we not given so generously as a community, some of those people would have perished. We have saved worlds. But some Jews argue that when we focus finite energy and resources on tikkun olam, repairing the broader world, we somehow diminish our own community. Whose lives, we hear it asked, should we be trying to save? Whose schools and programs should we be supporting? And how far should our concern for others extend? Millennia ago, our tradition wrestled with these same questions. And when it comes to our obligations to others, we'd be wise to learn from our sages. In the Babylonian Talmud, Tractate Bava Metziah, Rabbi Yosef offers a verse from Exodus which imagines the situation of someone coming to you for a loan. There's only so much to go around. So how do you decide where to give? The Talmud begins by quoting a verse from the Bible. If you lend money to my people, the verse from Exodus states, to the poor who are with you, do not act toward them as a creditor, exact no interest from them. And Rabbi Yosef interprets that verse as follows. The term my people teaches that if a Jew and a Gentile both come to borrow money from you, my people, the Jew, takes precedence. And the term the poor teaches that if a poor person and a rich person both come to you for a loan, the poor person takes precedence. And from the term who is with you, it is derived if your poor person, meaning one of your relatives, and one of the poor of your city come to borrow money, your poor person takes precedence. If it's between one of your city and one of another city, why then the one of your city takes precedence. These are our circles of concern. First our family, then those of our own city, then those further away. First those in greatest need, and then those whose situation is less dire. Rabbi Dov Linzer, a contemporary scholar, summarizes the wisdom of our tradition as follows. The greater the degree of connection, the greater the obligation towards that person. Now, in addition to learning from our sages from centuries and millennia past, we can also learn about how to navigate this tension from studying the behavior of our people's great exemplars. And this summer, I read a biography of one of them, Henrietta Zold, the founder of Hadassah. Born in 1860 in Baltimore, Maryland, the daughter of Rabbi Benjamin and Sophie Zold, who had immigrated to America from Hungary the year before, Henrietta was a brilliant writer and editor and teacher. And though she was new to this country, though they were new to this country, her parents involved themselves in the politics of the day, opposing slavery as abolitionists, 
which was not a popular thing to be in Maryland at that time. And learning her parents' lesson about circles of concern, Henrietta devoted her energies as a young woman to the thousands of immigrants who were streaming into Baltimore at that time. She created a model that later spread throughout the entire United States, night school. These immigrants, Jews and non-Jews alike, toiled during the day to support their families. There was no time to study in regular classes or programs. The night school model allowed them to learn English and other skills that would help them succeed in their new home. Later in her life, Zold focused her efforts almost exclusively on Eretz Yisrael, on the land of Israel. But even as she turned her attention inward to Jews and the nascent Jewish state, she took her parents' lessons to heart. She devoted her energies to health care, recruiting nurses and doctors, raising funds for infrastructure. From the very beginning, though, she decided that the doors of the clinics and hospitals that she helped to establish would always be open to Arabs and people of all faiths, races, and genders. Everyone would receive the same medical treatment as Jews. And this was a principle that was later adopted by the Israeli healthcare system and upheld to this very day. Through her leadership, Hadassah built hospitals, a medical school, dental facilities, x-ray clinics, infant welfare stations, and soup kitchens. To be sure, the focus of Zold's life work was most certainly to protect and nourish Jewish lives and Jewish community in order to secure a more vibrant future for her people. But as Hadassah's leader, she never ignored her duty to those in more distant circles of concern. Look, I know we must take care of our own. As Hillel famously said, if we are not for ourselves, who will be? Who will take care of Jewish day schools and synagogues and Holocaust survivors if we don't? But if we are for ourselves alone, then what kind of people are we? Our circles of concern must include others who need our help. And by the way, we certainly want this to be reciprocal, don't we? That is, we want the nations of the world to care just a little about us, about our plight, about our fate. We don't want them to stand idly by or look away when our lives are in danger. If we expect this from them, we should do the same for them. Now, the filmmakers of Schindler's List might have taken a small liberty by adding that Talmudic inscription to the ring, but I do believe that they got the quote right. Whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Had the non-Jewish Oscar Schindler not embodied that teaching from our tradition, more than a thousand of our fellow Jews and their descendants, generations literally, would have perished from this world. But because he could see beyond himself, beyond his own family and his own community, he was able to save entire worlds. Look, I'm a father, I'm a husband, a son, a sibling. I understand deeply 
the weight of my own responsibilities to those closest to me, there's almost nothing I wouldn't do to protect them. And more expansively, my sense of duty to Am Yisrael, to the Jewish people near and far, is tremendous. It has been the primary focus of my life through more than three decades of service to Jewish communities around the world. But I am also part of a broader human family to whom I owe something material. And this family has a claim on me as well. I'm called by both of them. Admittedly, there's no perfect formula there's no algorithm I know of that can neatly solve for the sometimes competing demands on our attention and resources. What is clear is that our tradition asks quite a lot from us. We are required to devote ourselves to our own people. We must worry about the Jewish future by supporting the physical, intellectual, and spiritual needs of Am Yisrael. But we must devote ourselves to the needs of others as well especially those here in our own city, especially those whose suffering is most acute. This is a tall order. It's an extraordinary obligation. But it's a task that we are well equipped to tackle. We have our 3,000-year-old tradition that calls us and guides us in the work of both tikkun olam, the repair of the whole wide world, and the work of tikkun atzmenu, self-repair, for our own souls and those dearest to us. And we also have our exemplars, our heroes, some of them right here in this congregation today who can help show us the way. In this new year of 5783, may God grant us compassion and empathy so that we might embrace these obligations, wisdom so that we might navigate them properly and generosity of spirit so that we might see this nearly impossible task as the greatest opportunity imaginable. Shana Tova. Well, that's our podcast. That was my sermon, Circles of Concern. If you want to join us for any of our services at Stephen Wise Temple, just go to wisela.org for all of the information. I'll be uploading my Yom Kippur sermon next week sometime, shortly after the holiday, I hope. I want to thank our video and audio production crew for making this week's episode possible, especially Raz Husseini, our editor, and our producer, Ryan Gorsi. Thanks to David Cates for composing that theme song with me and to Josh Goldberg for the vocal. Stay healthy, stay hopeful, stay happy, and stay tuned.